Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Brian Wazalowski, and it's time to talk tech. We took Tech Talk on the road to Brussels for RightsCon, which is an incredible annual gathering on the future of the global internet. While there, we had a chance to meet and talk to digital rights advocates, civil society leaders, government officials, technologists, and all-around visionary people. In this episode, we bring these perspectives to you. First, you'll hear from Maritza Schaka, a member of the European Parliament from the Netherlands. She outlines the key tech policy issues she is working on and shares her thoughts on where the EU can take a leadership role. She is definitely one of the most tech-informed politicians I have ever met. Then, we welcome Wafa ben Hassien and Javier Polero, two of the regional leads for Access Now, the organization that hosts RightsCon. Wafa shares her perspectives on digital rights in the Middle East and North Africa, or MENA, and Javier addresses his work in Latin America. And finally, we have some quick hits for you, starting with the executive director of EDRI, Joe McNamee, the executive director of Derechos Digitales, Maria Paz Canales, Amos Toe from the Office of the UN Rapporteur on the Freedom of Expression and Opinion, Daniel Bateko, a Thomas J. Watson Fellow who is traveling the world to research global digital rights, and finally, our very own Laura Blanco from CDT's Europe office based in Brussels. And finally, I'd like to give a special thanks to the folks at Access Now for having us as their guests at RightsCon and letting us bring the podcast to their wonderful event. We are thrilled to welcome Ms. Marita Schake, a member of the European Parliament from the Netherlands to Tech Talk. Ms. Schake has been a true champion of digital freedoms and has worked to advance civil liberties in the digital age through her work on the Parliament's International Trade Commission and Foreign Affairs Committee, as well as her capacity as Vice President of the Parliament's U.S. delegation. That is a mouthful. <laughs> she is one of the leaders on advancing Europe's digital market and copyright reforms and is an ardent supporter of the open internet. So needless to say, all of us at CDT are big fans of yours. Welcome to Tech Talk. Thank you so much. So tell us a bit, what are the main policy issues in the tech and internet space that you're working on right now? Well, we're coming up on the midterm review of the digital single market regulation, and it's a whole cluster of different chapters that are supposed to harmonize the online single market in Europe. So anything from copyright reform to e-privacy uh, to consumer protection. So that's a big chunk. But I'm personally also very involved with the question of export controls for very sensitive, sophisticated, ready-made systems that can be used for surveillance, exfiltration of information of human rights defenders or journalists in uh, countries where there is no rule of law or where there is a dictatorial or authoritarian regime. Uh, and that's a hotly contested topic, but I still believe that we have to do something against human rights being violated with the help of EU-made technology. Is there a role, so you, you highlight the important point, this brings up all the encryption type issues. Where do you stand on encryption? Is it a, a government thing that needs to be protected? Do the tech companies to need to be involved? Well, it's important that government doesn't break encryption. That's good, full stop, I love that, that's perfect. Um, so let's dig a little bit deeper into some of the things you're working on. Um, and I love that you always bring the human rights angle to your work, which is fantastic. Um, copyrights and, and human human rights, how do those go together and what are you working on in that space? 
So we're actually in the middle of an update of uh, copyright regulation in Europe, and it's always a very difficult topic because we're trying to do many things at once. On the one hand, we need in Europe a harmonized copyright regime. And this sounds very logical to any American because you have one space of regulations when it comes to copyright. Not so much in Europe. We still have 28 different systems. So imagine you're a startup, you have this fantastic streaming service, and you want to bring your content from Sweden to Spain. Then you have to buy rights in Spain. And so the buying and understanding of these very different mechanisms takes too much time, and it prevents startups from scaling. And on top of that, the current regulation doesn't foresee in digital licenses in the way that, that we need today. So we're, we're working on that, but of course there's all these, let's say, incumbents like you have in Hollywood, you know, the, the music and the movie industry, who are very keen to use this update to have more rights protection, more enforcement of copyright, and the publishers are now asking for an exclusive protection of publishing rights. So on top of copyrights for authors and journalists, they want a right for the publishers. And that is something that I think is taking the direction um, that we don't want to go. We don't need more enforcement, stronger protections, but rather harmonization and modernization towards the digital space, but also with more exceptions in the public interest. I think there's a whole copyright industry now with so many middlemen and uh, intermediaries that are really hindering very basic public interest issues like access to information, access to culture, access for scientists, access for people in, in education. So uh, I think we need to really not lose sight of the public interest of access to information in the broadest sense of the word. And I'm very keen to make sure that the update of this copyright regulation takes that into account as well. That's great. And another issue on the public interest, cybersecurity researchers. So not exactly copyright in the US, there's copyright elements to it. But you mentioned export controls and all that. How are those related and what are you working on to protect and advance cybersecurity research? So one of the key questions that I always get when we talk about preventing the export of certain technologies, and sometimes they're referred to as hacking tools, is cybersecurity researchers who say, look, I'm a researcher. Uh, and I do penetration testing, so hacking, or attempts at hacking, to make systems safer. So I have a good reason, legitimate purpose of doing this. Don't target me with your regulation. And I'm with them. I agree. I think we need cybersecurity researchers, penetration testers, to be able to do their work in the public interest, to make systems safer, so to add to cybersecurity, but also to gain knowledge and understanding about what the risks and vulnerabilities might be. And so the update of the export controls regulation does not target researchers at all. In fact, it's much more about economic transactions. So oftentimes these are multi-million euro or dollar contracts with systems that are designed, marketed and sold to, for example, intelligence uh, services or um, police and law enforcement agencies in dictatorial regimes. And so um, I don't know how security researchers would be in the same basket as these buyers of systems. And we just have to clarify and make sure that these security researchers are reassured that our export controls regulation does not target them and will not, you know, coincidentally or, or uh, collaterally target them either. That's wonderful. So we're going to pivot a little bit to now internet platforms. I mean, they are getting a lot of pressure, you know, in Europe, in the US and other places 
to take more control of the content on their site. So whether it's extremist content, copyrighted work, and there's different approaches to how you manage this content. What do you think is the best approach for internet platforms in dealing with undesirable or questionable content? Um, who, who should be in charge of that? Well, let me begin by saying that some of these internet platform companies are so powerful that they should appreciate the responsibility that they have in making sure that the public interest, like access to information, non-discrimination, freedom of expression, are safeguarded. And I've been very disappointed, and I say this as someone who's generally very optimistic about the opportunities of technology and digitization, very disappointed by the uh, lack of leadership by some of these big Silicon Valley-based tech companies and platforms, because when I told them are you concerned or ask them about what they were doing to make sure that, for example, Facebook was not abused to manipulate the elections or was not abused uh, for fake news type stories or junk news, whatever you want to call it. Um, they kind of pre pretended that I was coming from another planet, that I had sort of, you know, uh, uh, taken a wrong path and was seeing conspiracies. But frankly, they are underestimating the responsibility they have and I think it is crucial that whatever measures are taken, whether it is a business model that they have or whether it is a push to regulate content, it is in line with the rule of law. So we should not even talk about undesired content. Uh, I know it is, it is you know, the freedom of these companies to say we don't like pictures of breastfeeding so you don't get to see them. But think about the recent example uh, in the United States. YouTube and the um, branding as sensitive, labeling as sensitive, any LGBTI content. I think that's inappropriate. Uh, I think it is very important that freedom of speech is central and I don't see anything sensitive about talking about LGBTI rights or issues in the broadest sense. Of course, it's different when there's violence depicted against LGBTIs or where there's incitement to hatred, but we already have laws in place that can protect against abuses. And other than that, I think we have to be very careful with privatized norm setting, privatized law enforcement, privatized regulation of content, even if it is about radicalization, very undesired content that is of course there on the internet. But we have to be very careful that the proper oversight, the proper judicial checks, the proper checks and balances are in place that the rule of law is also applicable online. It's not a different universe. It's an integral part of our life as human beings. And I think the rule of law needs to be respected much more. And um, because there's not always um, updated regulation yet, I would like to see much more responsible decision-making and module or yeah, changing of, um, uh, of algorithms and, and business cases by these companies. It's one of the things we do at CDT. We try to think about ethics and algorithms and the fact that they, they, are, they are not two separate distinct things. You know, algorithm is not just a formula that does what it does. Humans create those, so that's a very important point. Well, you know, a lot of the companies treat algorithms as a trade secret. They sit on it uh, as if it's their biggest treasure. And, you know, if you compare it to, for example, the recipe of Coca-Cola, it's also mm -hmm. a trade secret. Um, I think it is safe to say that um, any soft drink, any consumer product is heavily regulated to make sure that it's not poisonous, that there's not some kind of um, ingredient there that could be harmful for the public health. 
Uh, and that's a concern if people drink, what, up to five cans of, of this soda a day, which would be a lot. <laughs> but imagine if, if 90 or more than 90% of the population would drink only that soft drink. Then you have a problem and a concern of different scale. And I think we should look at the market power of these companies, like Google, for example, that in the search market is extremely dominant. Um, and we have to look at what responsibility that brings. And as far as I learn from the Googles of this world, not a single human being even knows anymore what the whole algorithm is about. These algorithms have become so complex, layered, you know, uh, diffuse that if the companies themselves don't have real oversight anymore about the intended functionality and the actual functionality, how do we make sure, and I think this is one of the key questions of our time, that there is the proper oversight in the public interest of the impact of algorithms on our world. And we're only beginning to address this issue. We have to be careful, of course, with hastily made uh, decisions, but again, and I think that CDT is very right to focus on the ethical responsibility of companies themselves. Great. So last question for you. Um, obviously, in the U.S., we have a very different political climate right now than we did just a few months ago. Um, and a lot of the core issues that really support the open Internet are under threat. So things like net neutrality. Um, we've even heard rumblings against encryption or turning over passwords at the border. Uh, seems like we might have a bit of a void in global leadership on some of the most important open Internet issues. Do you think Europe is, and the EU specifically is poised to take some of that leadership? Well, I'm very worried about what we're seeing coming out of the White House specifically, sometimes tweeted, uh, hmm. sometimes screamed. But the Office of President of the United States is not only very important for people in the U.S., but it, it determines where the U.S. stands globally. And I, I'm very worried when attacks on the rule of law, attacks on the media, attacks on minorities are waged. And I think we have to push back against that. Not because we don't care about America. In fact, transatlantic partnership is the most important partnership we have in Europe. And I deeply believe in it. I'm very committed to it. But it's always been a partnership on the basis of values, and it should remain that way. Of course, this also has impact on the open Internet. I'm very disappointed about uh, the notion of, of changing net neutrality rules, for example. And um, uh, indeed, I think this moment should lead to a more proactive, ambitious Europe. We have shown in the form of net neutrality laws, in the form of general data protection regulation, uh, in the form of other rules and regulations that we have developed here in Europe, that we are norm setting here in Europe and that we can, because we are pan-national, we already look beyond the size of one country. And that's actually exactly how the internet develops. It's bigger than one country. It's connecting people globally. And I think the EU, therefore, is in a in a good position, one, because of its appreciation for, for human rights, universal human rights, second, because of its transnational character and a m market that actually involves multiple countries, multiple citizens in a single space uh, to take a leadership role. And I, I think it is now more important than ever that we do so to really step up where the U.S. may step back. Fantastic. And that's why CDT has an office here in Brussels. It's such an important place and definitely leading the way. You are one of the most tech-savvy politicians I've ever met. How did you first get involved in technology issues? Do you have a particular passion for this? Or how did it come about? 
Well, I'm curious uh, about new innovations. So I do like uh, to understand where change comes from. And I think technology is very important there. Uh, I studied new media at the University of Amsterdam, but I'm not an engineer. I don't know how to code. So I actually feel fairly uh, ill-equipped <laughs> to address some of these issues from a technical point of view, but to understand what the technological revolution means for society, for human rights, and for safeguarding the public interest. I'm trying to connect the dots and it's a constant learning process. That's why it's so good to be at RightsCon here with so many activists, hackers, experts, academics, people from the private sector and from government to really come together and to do sort of 360 view on a number of these issues. And so for me, it's, it's really a constant learning process. And um, um, you know, I'm happy that um, through working with so many stakeholders, we can, we can make a difference. Wonderful. Maritza Schaka, from, uh, a member of the European Parliament, thank you so much for joining Tech Talk. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. I'm here with Wafa Ben Hassin, who leads the MENA region work for Access Now, the great hosts of RightsCon. Welcome, Wafa. Hi. So tell me a bit. I mean, you're based in Tunis. What is the work that you're doing in the MENA region? So I'm based in Tunis and I'm currently working on policy as well as advocacy and I'm kind of doing a mix of both um, for the whole MENA region. So, um, and that does not include Turkey, Azerbaijan, okay. uh, Iran, because I'm generally focusing on Arabic speaking countries. And so, um, so I'm on the policy level, I'm working a lot on um, some new legislation that's coming through in several Arab countries that deals with Internet of Things. Um, and th these, these kinds of legislations include anything ranging from call for proposals to contracts um, to call for the establishment of execution networks or access networks for these new products. But a lot of these documents don't have like major protections for consumers and their privacy and their data. So um, that's one level I'm working on. I'm also working a lot on um, digital identity management systems. And um, what that really means in a nutshell is um, identity cards, identi unique identifier numbers that are used in, in consumer products, um, all of these different identifiers um, that could eventually be linked to one another and be centralized either by the state or by a private corporation. Um, and basically we had, for example, in Tunisia, a new proposed law that was looking to create a new identity card that had a chip in it and it had one part of it is encrypted and the proposed law kind of says what it's about, but it doesn't really give uh, a clear picture of what that encrypted data could look like. Therefore, it could be very prone to abuse by law enforcement authorities, et cetera. So on the policy level, I'm kind of working on that. I'm also working on a lot of um, outreach, a lot, a lot of advocacy types of projects, um, both in Tunisia and Lebanon. Um, I'm working with several partners in Lebanon and Jordan and Palestine and all over the region, basically. Um, and uh, we're also reaching out to more traditional human rights organizations. Um, and especially in North Africa, because those are our major, really they're the major partners that we should be working with. Um, the idea of digital rights as a concept is not very well understood in the region, and there's a lot of education to be done. And the first people I'm reaching out to are these human rights organizations that are already well established, and all it takes is just educating them about what, how you can translate your right to freedom of expression and how that works with new technologies. And so. Working a lot on capacity building, outreach, et cetera, et cetera, on the, in the region as well. So it's 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 a lot going on, and the issues don't end. Um, but it's definitely a very exciting time to be working in the region. How big of a team do you have to cover that entire region? Um, myself. 
So this is a, just a great reminder at how hard all these folks here that are working in advocacy work, you know, herself covering the entire region. You're doing great, great work. Thanks Thank for you. sharing it but with us. But in fairness, I did want to say I do have an advocacy team that's all over the world, and that's what makes Access Now so special, is that you're not always working alone. Yes, I'm policy and advocacy on my own in Tunisia, but I have a whole team supporting me all over the world, in Costa Rica, in New York, in Argentina, uh, in Philippines, you know, in Brussels. and. I have that power behind me. It's it's a big it's a big support, and so um, definitely not alone. Alone. <laughs> you do great work. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm here with Javier Palero from Access Now, our wonderful host for RightsCon, and he leads all of their work in Latin America. What are you doing here at RightsCon? Well, I am helping the guys at Access Now. Um, at putting together this conference, you know, it's a lot of work. Uh, Fourteen hundred um, people here. Wow! <laughs> so, so it's a lot of work, and I'm also accompanying our Latin American partners, digital rights organizations that are here, uh, exposing their panels and trying to push for the priorities for the region this year. That's great. So you lead all the work in Latin America, which is a big region for two people to cover. Um, what are the, the main tech and internet policy issues that you're focusing on there? What's hot there compared to other parts of the world? Well, as you said, um, there's a lot of issues, a lot of countries, and we're forced to just attack the most relevant issues, you know. And among them, we have surveillance, of course. Um, Last year, we had the revelations from the hacking team Hacks, I don't know if you remember, about this Italian company that sells oh, yeah. spyware to governments. And they, we discovered that Mexico is the country that has spent the most in the entire world in hacking team technologies to spy on their own citizens. And most of this spying, the majority of this spying, is done illegally because it's not authorized by any laws or statutes uh, in, the, in the country. So surveillance is a big issue. There are no effective control mechanisms for uh, surveillance within the countries, for domestic surveillance. So that, that was one, one of the biggest concerns that, that we have. And great groups like the R3D are working in Mexico to try to, to battle that. And also other priorities that we have is the work on net neutrality. Uh, Latin America is one of the regions where the practice of zero rating certain apps is most widespread. So the idea is to try to um, alert people, especially lawmakers, about the dangers of such um, nature neutrality violations, um, because this, this risks shaping the access to the internet in a very negative way in Latin America, which is a region that still has a lot to go in terms of access to the internet. Are there any countries in Latin America that you think are setting a, a forward-looking positive policy agenda um, on tech and internet issues? You know, so far, uh, um, sadly, I can't say that we have like a beacon for digital rights in Latin America. That was the case of Brazil, though, in 2013, when they uh, passed a, a bill called the Marco Civil of the Internet, which is a civil framework, civil rights framework for the Internet. They did this in the wake of the Snowden revelations, and this got guaranteed a certain set of rights for Brazilian citizens. But right now, with the change in government, as you know, Dilma Rousseff went off, uh, was impeached, and then we have now a new president in Brazil, and the new administration is really, really against digital rights. They have been pushing very dangerous bills to try to reform the Marco Civil and ease the protections that the Marco Civil guarantees to the citizens. So it's a very worrying situation. And also there are a lot of Brazilian uh, groups that are also here at RightsCon who are working to try to push against that. But, but it's a very, very big and important move 
from the government to try to deregulate telecommunications and also try to diminish the, the protections, privacy protections specifically in the Marco Civil. Yeah, Brazil definitely was a beacon for a while there, and it's a shame. I mean, the U.S. was a beacon for a while, and now we're not doing so good either. So, <laughs> um, just last question before I let you go: If someone was interested in, you know, getting engaged from Latin America in these different tech and internet um, issues, should they reach out? Obviously, reach out to the folks at Access Now. Are there other groups that you'd like to highlight that you think that they should consider reaching out to? Well, there are several groups. I just mentioned the R3D, yeah. which is a, a group in Mexico. Um, there's a lot of groups, the Fundación Carisma in Colombia. Um, in Brazil, we have a, a lot of people, the Internet Lab, the ITS, the CTS. I, I mean, there's a lot of groups. So just to make it easier, you can reach me, and I can put people in contact with, uh, with other groups in different regions. My email address is javier at accessnow.org, and you can find me there. I hope a lot of people reach out. Thanks for joining Tech Talk. Yeah, thank you for having me. I am joined now by Joe McNamee, the Executive Director of Edry. Joe, tell us about what Edry does and why everyone should be supporting the great work you do. Uh, Edry is basically two different things. Uh, it's an association of associations. So we've got 34 um, digital rights groups from um, 22, I think, countries spread around Europe and a few international groups. And we act as a hub of information and cooperation uh, for them. Um, and we're also uh, a Brussels office um, where we advocate um, on behalf of our members with the European institutions. Um, so as far as the Brussels institutions are concerned, we are an NGO um, mm -hmm. ourselves. And we work on privacy issues, um, freedom of communication, a lot of work on the role of intermediaries and intermediary liability, which is a huge issue in, uh, in, in Europe. And I hope people in the rest of the world uh, take note of just how bad some of the proposals are in Europe. Well, tell us a bit about those proposals. Why are they so bad? Well, we have a copyright proposal, which it's actually so bad that People don't believe that it could possibly be as bad as it is, and it's not getting traction in the public because people are going, no, Europe, <laughs> Europe wouldn't do that. Europe couldn't do that. Um, they're proposing um, primary liability for intermediaries. So if somebody uploads something to the internet that is uh, unauthorized, uh, then the company itself would be committing the infringement. Uh, they're proposing secondary liability for uh, the internet companies. Uh, so if you upload something, they're liable for the fact that you uploaded it. Uh, they're proposing a mandatory use of uh, content recognition technologies, uh, upload filtering, and uh, arrangements between internet companies and rights holders to, um, to, keep, to filter and monitor what you, what you do on the internet. And it's actually a real proposal and it's not a joke. Uh, that is way worse than I think I even anticipated, so wow. <laughs> uh, yes, there is a separate instrument called the Audiovisual Media Services Directive, which is uh, something that CDT in, in Brussels is also working on, um, which also proposes uh, liability for internet companies. It does, it, it, it's legislating on uh, certain types of illegal content, like hate speech, and also legislating on non-illegal content, which may be, depending on who's assessing it, uh, harmful to children. 
So there they also propose removing liability protections for, uh, for, for um, video hosting sites, um, which is bad. Um, they, um, they're not very clear on what the law is. Um, and uh, the most recent thing in the European Parliament, as well as the uh, compromise proposals, which aren't compromises, uh, that have been proposed, they've proposed a definition of user-generated video. Um, which doesn't require the video to be user-generated, which gives you an idea of the, the vast intellect that is being put into this nuclear disaster of, of internet policy. So thankfully you're here at RightsCon, surrounded by a lot of people that would agree with you, probably have you know, different approaches, but same goals. Are you more optimistic, optimistic that you can fight some of this back, being surrounded by so many other advocates? Um, it's it's a really reassuring, happy thing for, I think we're all in little silos uh, all around the world feeling uh, alone in our, in our geekiness, in our wonkiness, in our passion for uh, openness and communication. And uh, coming to a, a conference where there are other people, there are people, we're a family, we believe in the same things, we're, we're a movement. Uh, it's definitely a, a great thing. It's also last weekend we had our General Assembly, which was our biggest ever General Assembly, and our membership grew by over 10%. So this is a very encouraging week uh, between our General Assembly, which was the best ever, and RightsCon in Brussels for the first time ever. Um, in, in face of all of the depressing hurricane of chaos it's 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 happy it's a happy week well keep up the good work and keep the happiness going and thanks for being part of tech talk thank you i have an alumni of cdt with me maria paz canales who is now the executive director of derechos digitales based in chile and we are very very proud of you you are my favorite guest of the day because an alumni this is great so tell us a bit about your organization you're a new executive director what do they do what's your agenda for for your tenure great thank you for having me it's a pleasure for me like have this opportunity to to talk with you uh, i admire everything that you do at cvd and these talks tech talk it was one of the things that i had the opportunity to, to be in touch when i was an intern there a couple of years ago so i'm very proud of being here with you and about your question derechos digitales is an organization that already have like more than 10 years of existence uh, we are based in chile and we start our work in chile as more like policy uh, think tank uh, and and then we move to be a really a full profit organization and um, that cares about all the issues related with digital rights that is why we have our name derechos digitales is the translation in spanish and we work uh, still uh, heavily in the policy issues but also we work a lot in advocacy focus and we, we uh, do this work not just only uh, for Chile, but uh, increasingly in the five years for all Latin America. And we are wow. trying to help to build more capacity in these topics in the places where so far there, there is no organization that can bring uh, this kind of uh, uh, more like technical uh, uh, discussion about these topics uh, in, in different uh, countries of the region. 
So about uh, our agenda, basically, uh, we have, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, several lines of work uh, related with policy and with advocacy, and we are increasingly uh, taking over more technical projects. So we have uh, invest, and we expect to continue investing to improve our technical capacities, uh, either internally in the growing of our organization, but also making collaboration with people outside the organization that can bring that technical analysis that it's very necessary for, for the topic that we do. And uh, in, in, during this year, I will say that we will have like a very uh, big focus in topics related with surveillance, which, which is a, a huge topic in Latin America in general. We are conducting research about the, the ways in which uh, the surveillance is uh, developed in, in, in different countries in Latin America. And particularly in Chile, we have like a study case that it's really interesting to share about the use of technology like drones for purposes of uh, public security, but uh, that imply an, a huge amount of, of risk uh, of being used for surveillance and be very invasive with uh, the privacy rights of the people. And a lot of times, these kind of initiatives are presented in a way that it seems not harmful for the people, and, and they receive a lot of popular support because people is not aware of, of, the, of the risk uh, about the management of the data that is collected, uh, the, who can access this. and. A lot of time, this is not even in, even in, in the hands of the government, but also the private company that are uh, contracted for, for managing this kind of technology. So that's a very interesting topic that it will be yeah. probably one of the main lines that we will be working this year among a lot of other. We are also very interested in, in talking about gender issues, all the things, how to make uh, online space safe for minorities in general, but particularly for, for for uh, gender uh, provocation and kind of the violation that happened uh, in the online space. So we have a lot to do. There's a lot to do in, in our region, and we are constantly working to enlarge our uh, course of action to bring more people in the discussion also. You're covering a lot of ground there. Um, so of course, we're here at RightsCon. What, what have you learned, or have you met new partners that you can work with or partner with on different initiatives while being here? Yeah. It's it's impressive how you can you can see when you met people in, in places like this that uh, we have like pretty much the same topics in common. These issues that I'm talking about are also issues in another part of the world, and uh, we have found a lot of space for collaboration to interchange uh, experiences and. Uh, find a way to move forward like together in, in building also like more international standards around the same topics. We just had like this uh, afternoon a panel about biometric and everyone was complaining about uh, how this is crappily handled all over the world so there's a huge space for collaboration building common standards uh, between the organizations that we uh, get together here. That's great, that's great. Well, we are so proud of you, everyone at CDT. Keep up the great work, and uh, we will stay in touch and look forward to seeing the great things that you do. Thank you. <laughs>
Well, um, as legal advisor, I'm, you know, basically um, working with him on research and advocacy projects that he conducts as part of his mandate for the United Nations. And my specific area of focus is digital rights and internet freedom, um, particularly the role that the ICT sector plays in um, respecting and promoting human rights, particularly freedom of expression and privacy. So that's really kind of the substantive frame of what I do. And, um, you know, I kind of do many other things as well. Like we also regularly communicate with governments about allegations of human rights violations. So that's something else that I work on another piece of it. Um, and, you know, going to RightsCon, like that's a fantastic uh, kind of perk <laughs> and doing things like that. Yeah. So what are some of the issues, you know, you highlighted them, but some of the issues that um, you're most concerned with right now when it comes to freedom of expression online from a global perspective? Are there certain regions, certain topics? What are some of the, the big issues right now? Right. I mean, so just to, well, one of the favorite things I get to do in this role is really what I call it like investigative policy research um, to keep the mandate and keep David and our team like apprised of what's the next thing, um, what's the next big human rights concern, right? And and so some of some of the most um, interesting and salient issues that are underreported as well, to me, appear to be um, in the area of like the role of technical standard setting bodies like the IET and uh, True GPP and Etsy and, and all these big standards bodies that are um, developing ways in which the internet is going to advance and how computers basically are going to communicate with each other in different ways as part of the Internet of Things. And nobody's really focusing on kind of the human rights issues that that sort of thing creates. Um, I also think that, you know, um, um, the kind of intersection between traditional, like, conceptions of freedom of expression and privacy and, and kind of more socioeconomic issues like connecting the next billion people and how that enables a whole suite of economic and social cultural rights like like that's kind of another big area that I think is emerging and that we need to pay more attention to yeah that's great so you've been at RightsCon now for a few days what's some of the the things you've learned here or the interesting people that you've met um, it's I guess one of the well there were two really interesting panels that kind of really highlights I think the the real benefit of being here one is um, it was a panel on like you know storms which is the Soviet style post-Soviet surveillance systems and the kind of not just the level of knowledge but the level of passion people have about like the technical details of SORM um, it's just you know really mind-boggling and very inspiring because like I have no right to complain about <laughs> going to too many policy lunches if like people are just so like in the weeds on these things and it's it's really inspiring to know that another thing was I'm going to kind of like a coding rights panel um, you know it get you get to see like you know as a policy guy you get to see a, a completely different perspective of how um, people deal with these issues but just from a completely different world um, and that's what I like about kind of these kind of forums yeah and for the listeners you can't see this but Amos is very animated and clearly passionate and excited about this so we're so glad that you're working on these issues in the UN and thank you for joining Tech Talk thank you for having me thank you I'm joined now by Daniel Pateko, who is also a CDT alum. He interned with us a few years ago on the communications teams, which is the best internship at CDT. And he has been traveling the world on a Watson Fellowship. So Daniel, tell us what you're doing. What is this Watson Fellowship? And of course, welcome to Tech Talk. Uh, 
Thanks for having me, Brian. It's really good to see you after all these years. <laughs> I look the same, right? You look the same, yeah. exactly the same. Um, so I am on a Thomas J. Watson Fellowship. It's a one-year purposeful grant given to liberal arts college graduates to pursue a uh, course of study of their choosing. So I decided to study digital rights communities, specifically looking at how people interpret their digital rights in different countries and then how do they mobilize around those issues. So it's taken me to a lot of different places. I've been traveling for eight months already and I have another four months to go. So tell us about, I mean, and I'm sure your internship at CDT inspired you to do this, it, right? Absolutely. I mean, that was, that was the first time that I really got involved in tech and democracy and how the two intersect. Um, I remember going to all of these um, lectures put on by CDT. We had the weekly brown bag sessions um, where someone of note would come in at lunch. I, that was a really wonderful experience and that has inspired me since. So yeah, I, that's not just for show. Seriously, thanks. Perfect answer. Uh, so tell us about where you've been and some of the things that you've learned on these trips. You've gone to some really like interesting places and, and have been at the forefront of places where probably digital rights are something that you know are under threat. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I've, I've been to a long list of countries at this point. I started out in South Korea working with OpenNet, um, which is a group that of lawyers that work on these issues. Uh, I've been throughout East Asia speaking to NGOs, lawyers, academics, journalists, and even just locals about how they interpret their digital rights. Um, it definitely varies by different country, but I think one of the most humanizing things of note is that everyone has a concept of privacy and has this concept of free speech. So we might have this parochial vision in, in the U.S. that uh, elsewhere privacy isn't taken seriously, but it is. You just have to be asking the right questions and understanding the cultural context. Those are great insights. Well, how, you have four more months left. What's next on your itinerary? Um, well, next up on the itinerary is Russia. Fingers crossed for a visa. <laughs> I think right now we're in um, some pretty dire political straits in the U.S. with that. So I think that'll work out. And then um, I'll be keep I'll keep traveling, keep talking to more individuals about how they interpret their internet freedoms. Well, good luck with all that, and we're so excited uh, that you are doing this work in digital rights and. So pleased that CDT was a part of that and look forward to seeing what the future holds for you. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm here with CDT's very own Laura Blanca, who recently joined the CDT team based in Brussels, working on European affairs. And she's going to tell us about what she is working on and the pri priorities of that office. Welcome, Laura. Thank you, Brian. First of all, I just want to say that I'm so excited to be part of the CDT family and to join, to join Jens Jeppensen here in Brussels in working to advance digital rights in the EU. Uh, it's definitely both a challenging uh, and interesting time to work on digital issues. And as you know, this is the case not only here in Europe, uh, but in Brussels, we are currently heavily engaged in the developments around intermediary liability in the context of the European Commission's digital single market uh, strategy. And uh, this strategy is said to have the aim of establishing a fully European market in, in digital goods and services. But what we actually see is that some of the legislative proposals on the table, if they pass as they currently stand, uh, they're likely to have a strong impact on the way the internet operates, uh, affecting all players in the market, including, including 
uh, internet users and their freedom of expression. So um, broadly speaking, there's uh, a trend in the debate to impose uh, an obligation to monitor uploaded content on video sharing sites for potential uh, harmful or undesirable uh, content. Uh, this is seen in the review of the uh, Audiovisual Media Services Directive, um, but we also um, see this uh, trend in the copyright reform uh, debate. Uh, where the Commission basically imposes a general monitoring obligation on intermediaries of any kind to employ technological measures to monitor and filter uploaded uh, content for potential copyright infringement. Um, well, these are very worrying provisions from the uh, freedom of expression point of view, uh, since it basically means that even if you upload uh, perfectly legal content, it would still be filtered um, and monitored unless people would be inclined to put things uh, up online, for example. And sometimes these technologies would not pick up the cases covered by copyright exceptions. So you could um, also be in a situation where your content is uh, taken down for no valid uh, reason. So it's really important to, um, to upkeep the liability protections in place in the so-called uh, e-commerce directive. Uh, where a hosting provider acts to remove content uh, once it has been notified of its illegality. So in both of these proposals, we are uh, working closely with other organizations, uh, such as the Copyright for Creativity Alliance, which is a coalition of a broad range of stakeholders, uh, which include associations representing internet service providers, uh, libraries, um, also artists, and so on. So it's uh, very broad. Uh, we have a very coordinated and targeted approach in this alliance, which I think is crucial um, in the current state of the debate, and we'll continue to work closely to make sure that these proposals, in fact, reflect the uh, Commission's stated objectives uh, for the digital single market. So lots of important things you're doing there. Um, we obviously have a great team here in Brussels. And if you want to know more about their work, follow them on Twitter. At, it's at, at CDTEU, is that right? Correct. Perfect. Uh, so RightsCon, you're here. This is your first, first RightsCon. You have eight of your DC colleagues out here. What's your takeaways from RightsCon? Well, I think there are so many different uh, issues uh, currently, which affect both uh, US and the EU. So for me, it's uh, mainly a learning experience. And of course, I'm so excited to, to meet uh, all my colleagues who are so smart. And I'm just uh, happy to be here. Who's your favorite colleague? No, I'm just kidding. Don't answer that. Don't answer. Laura has been a wonderful host for us, too, has given us great tips. Thank you so much. And thank you for being on Tech Talk for the first time. Thank you, Brian. That's it for this episode of Tech Talk. The large CDT contingent at RightsCon had a blast, and we're already looking forward to the next one, which will take place in Toronto. Definitely consider going. And if you're in Washington, D.C. on April 20th, you should also consider coming to CDT's annual dinner, TechProm. We will be honoring Teen Vogue with our Digital Visionary Award. If you're interested, visit cdt.org for more information, and we hope to see you there. I'm Brian Wozolowski. Thanks for listening.